0: The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Good morning, Refuge Church. Uh, I'm going to uh, give you guys a few minutes to. Uh, Offer your own prayer of confession uh, before I pray for us uh, this morning. And so please take a few minutes, quiet your minds, and offer a prayer of confession. Jesus, we uh, come to you this morning as people who have broken your laws. We haven't loved you the way we're supposed to. We haven't loved each other the way you've called us to. And so we uh, come to you just humbly asking that you uh, please forgive us, Lord. We confess our sins to you this morning. And thank you, Heavenly Father, because you're always there, just with your arms wide open, just inviting us to come to you, especially when we feel broken the most. And so we come to you this morning, Lord. We confess our sins to you, forgive us, make us clean. We pray that you fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit this morning. May your Holy Spirit convict and talk to our heart this morning. May your Holy Spirit fill this place, and may we all be filled with your presence this morning. So thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. We pray for the service this morning. We just pray that you will be in charge and that everything we do, through your word, through songs, that we will glorify you. We pray for our nation, Lord. We pray for little ones around the nation that have been sick with the virus, Lord. We pray for your healing. We pray for the Frederick family. We pray for the little ones, Jesus. We pray that you heal them from whatever it is that they have going on. We pray for places where there's no peace, Lord. We pray for your peace. And above all, we pray that your kingdom will come soon, Lord, so that you can uh, put an end to all of the suffering and pain that we experience or see every day in our lives. Thank you that you're God, you're involved in all of this, you're right there with us, walking through it with us, and thank you that you have blessed us with all of your heaven's blessings. Thank you for this. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Good morning, Refuge Church. Good morning. Good morning. This morning uh, we will be uh, continuing our series uh, from uh, First Peter, and the title of our series uh, so far has been "Faith in Troubling Times: Peter's Letters to the Church," and this is the intro. Are you troubled by what you see happening in the world? In this sermon, we will read Peter's letters to churches who are living in troubling times. In this letter, we read words like grief, suffering, and anxiety. Peter is writing to people who are struggling to live by faith in a world that seems to be falling apart. Listen and discover how Jesus is a living hope for those living. In troubling times. And I think it's fair to say that we are also living in troubling times. And so Peter's letter to the church back then applies to us. So the title of the sermon this morning is, We Live With the End in Mind We live with the end in mind. And as Christians, we should live with the end in mind, right? Because as a believer, we know what the end looks like for us. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you know that when the end comes, Jesus is going to come and take us home, right? And so we have to live with the end in mind. And if you're not a believer, this doesn't mean anything to you. Because what happens when you die? You have no idea. Maybe there's nothing after this. That's not who we are. And so Peter's encouragement to the church this morning is you have to live with the end in mind. And so my big question this morning is how are you living right now with the end in mind? How are you living right now with the end in mind? Have you uh, experienced a situation in your life where you were close to the end, maybe a near-death experience? If you were, what were the thoughts that were going through your head? Were you thinking of things that you weren't doing that you shouldn't have done? You know, I've, I've shared with you uh, uh, stories about you know, the persecution that I faced uh, growing up when I was 11. And for those of you who haven't heard that story, you know, that, that was my near-death experience. And what happened was growing up in northern Nigeria, you know, Nigeria is divided in a way into two. The northern part is mostly Muslim and the southern part is mostly Christian. And so I grew up in the northern part. And so Christians are heavily persecuted in the northern uh, part. And I remember in 2011, you know, it was a normal day, went to school, everybody went to work, and our principal just came and told us, "You guys need to go home and as we were walking home, we started seeing fires and guys with guns and machete. We got home, my whole family got home, we locked ourselves indoor and what happened was the Muslims wanted Sharia law, which was an Islamic law to govern the state and our governor said, well, there are Christians in this state, and so we cannot just have Sharia law, be considerate of the Christians. And so they took matters into their own hands, and they were going to force the governor's hand. And so they just went on a killing spree. Thankfully, we had really good Muslim neighbors who surrounded our homes and, you know, with God's protection. But I remember in the room, you know, while my mom was praying, I was thinking about the end. And I was thinking about all those, I mean, I was a devout 11-year-old seven-day Adventist, right? And so I was the most spiritual 11-year-old because I was all about keeping the rules. But in my head, I'm like, what am I missing? What haven't I done? What can I do during this last moment before it's too late? Because we didn't know what was going to happen. So have you been in a situation like that where, like, the end is coming? How have I lived my life? When I face God today, what is he going to say about me? Do you live with the end in mind? Thankfully for me and my family, it wasn't our last day, but for many of our neighbors, it was for them. So how are you living with the end in mind? And so in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 to 11, it says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sin. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various form. If anyone speaks, he should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And so here Peter is giving them specific instructions on on what he expects from the Christian communities. Because like we've said earlier, these are Christians that are living during a time of extreme persecution, right? And so Peter wants to remind them that they need to live with the end in mind. And then he gives them specific instructions on how he wants them to live with the end in mind. And what, what does he say? The first instruction he gives is to live a prayerful life. To live with the end in mind, you have to live a prayerful life. And then Peter gives two ways we can achieve this. He says, be serious, or the translation used, used the word earnest, but be serious and disciplined. Be serious and disciplined. There is no better time than right now to be prayerful in our lives. Just look at what's going on in the world. If, if we don't pray, what can we do? We, we don't have the power to change a lot of things, right? Maybe we can vote, you know, change some policies. But just think about the big things that are happening in the world. The war in Ukraine, right? Christian persecutions around the world. How can we change that? We can't do much. But the weapon that we have is we can pray. We can pray. And so Peter says, be serious about it. Because we know that we are living in the end times. And so we have to be serious and disciplined about prayers. I've shared many times that my mom is a prayer warrior, and I haven't found anyone who prays more than my mom. I mean, she's up 6 a.m. on her knees just praying for her kids, praying for the nation, praying for the world, and I'm not that. I see her, and I envy her. I'm like, how are you that disciplined? I want that, right? And so with my son now, we're teaching Isaac how to pray, and he loves it, We say, Isaac, we're ready to pray, and then he puts his hands together. That's his favorite thing to do. Closes his eyes and then opens one eye, see what's going on. (laughs) But as we're teaching Isaac how to pray, I'm also learning how to pray with him. Because if I want him to be disciplined in prayers, I need to be disciplined in prayers also. And so, to live with the end in mind, we have to be disciplined and serious about prayers because that is the most powerful weapon that we have as Christians. The second instruction Peter gives is to live, is to practice mutual love. Peter wants the Christian community to practice mutual love. And this love must be fervent, it must be constant, it must be unremitting. This love also must extend to everyone within the community of Christ, but also to neighbors and enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Love them. Turn the other cheek. I'm not that person yet. I hope to be someday. But Peter wants... The believers to love each other and to also love people outside. Why is love important? Because love covers a multitude of sins, he says. What does that mean? Proverbs chapter 10, verse 2 love covers all offenses in the sense of minimizing or overlooking them. This is the spirit of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 to 7, which says, Love doesn't keep record of grievances, but bears all things. That is why we can love each other. I mean, when a community of believers are going through persecution, like there's a lot of stuff that comes out. And the way we can bear with each other's burden is to love one another. As we go through this journey together. And so, mutual love for each other and love for people outside is one way we can live with the end in mind. The third instruction he gives the church is to practice hospitality. The word itself means love for strangers. Love for strangers. And since hospitality has to do with offering strangers a welcoming space, attention, and love, this becomes one of the highest forms of mutual love in the Christian faith. And I, I, I was thinking of uh, Polycap of Smyrna. Uh, he is one of the early church fathers. And as he was, I mean, he, he was 99 years old, great guy, you know, just one of he, he was devout, he loved Jesus, one of the good elders of the early church. And everybody loved him. And Rome was like, you need to recount your faith. And he's like, no, it's like for 99 years, Jesus has not let me down. And so this wouldn't be a time for me to let him down. I held on to his faith. Right, And so when the soldiers came to his house to arrest him and take him to where he was about to be executed, guess what he did? He offered them hospitality. He fed them, gave them a place to rest. And even the soldiers were like, come on, old man, you just need to deny Jesus. You don't need to die. And it's like, no. Here's somebody who is about to go die, and yet, practicing what Peter is saying, offer hospitality to strangers. And as I was thinking about this, like, this is a bizarre thing to do. Prayers, I get mutual love, but offer hospitality. But that's what we're called to do. Because we do not know when we will entertain angels if we don't offer hospitality. We have the poor living around us. Even as a Christian community, we're not all the same, right? We have people in needs, some that struggle more than us. And so Peter is basically saying, take care of each other's needs. When your brother is hungry, feed him. When your brother needs a place to stay, give him a place to stay. Offer hospitality. Love the stranger. And then lastly... He says, whatever gift that God has blessed you with, use those gifts. Use your gift. And then he identifies two gifts. The gift of speaking and the gift to serve. And the word that he uses, the Greek word for speak, is a very general term that he uses. But in context of what Peter was writing... It means preaching or teaching. And so, why, why is it important for us to preach and teach during the end of times? And I think Paul answered this when he charged Timothy in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 1 to 5. This is what he tells, Paul tells Timothy to do 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 1 to 5. It says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of this of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when man will not put up with sound doctrine, Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myth. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And so why do we preach the word During the end. Because there will be a lot of false teachings. There will be a lot of false teachings. And and remember, even Paul, during his own time, he thought he was living in the end. Right? Most of the people during the early church, they really thought that Jesus was going to return during their own time. And it's the same for us. And so it's like, There are people who will just love false teaching. There are people who will not care about the gospel. So Timothy, I'm giving you discharge. You need to preach the gospel. And so if you're here this morning, if you attend the Refuge Church because you want us to preach what you want to hear, I'm sorry, and I can say that for me, myself, Jake, and Daniel, that we're just not going to do that. The gospel will hurt a lot of people. But that's what we have to preach. The gospel is the most radical message that we have as a church, right? Because basically the gospel is saying that we are screwed up. There's nothing good in us. Only Christ is perfect. Only Christ has paid for our sins. And we have to believe in him. There's no way to God except through Christ. And we have to put our faith in trust In him people don't like that message people will find churches that they will be like oh I guess there are other ways that's not us to live with the end in mind we have to speak truth and the truth that we have is the truth of the gospel and that's what we will try to do here every Sunday Because the truth of the gospel sets us free. There's no better truth than the truth of the gospel. And so speak and teach the gospel. And then lastly, he says, use the gift of serving. Use your gift to serve. And what is it about serving? It is about putting the needs of others ahead of ours. To serve is to deny what we want and to put that of others ahead of us. To serve is to imitate what Jesus did for us to others. To serve is to carry each other's burdens. These are the instructions that Peter gives the church. And then he says, finally, the outcome of how we're supposed to live our life during the end is ultimately to glorify God through Jesus Christ. That is why we do those things, so that God will be glorified in the end, because God deserves to be glorified. And so how are you living with the end in mind? Are we practicing these things that Peter gives the church to practice? If we're not, is this a good time to start before it's too late? And as I was thinking about this question, uh, I remembered... uh, a a letter that I read in church history. And this letter was probably between the 2nd century, uh, between 2nd to the 4th century. And it was a letter to uh, Diognetus. And we're not sure who the author of this letter is. But basically, the letter is uh, addressing probably one of uh, a high Roman uh, official who was curious about Christians, right? Because back then, they called Christians... uh, as people who were living a third way, right? Because you had uh, Greeks, you had the Romans, and then you had Christians, right? And so, in this letter, uh, Justin, who many scholars thought wrote the letter, was just basically explaining to this person that he's writing to what Christians are like. And this is what he says: For Christians are distinguished. From other men neither by country nor language, nor the customs which they observe, for they neither inhabit cities of their own, nor employ a peculiar form of speech, nor lead a life which is marked out by any singularity. The course of conduct which they follow has not been devised by any speculation or deliberation of inquisitive men, nor do they, like some, proclaim themselves the advocates of any merely human doctrines, but inhabiting Greek as well as barbarian cities, according to the lot of each of them, has been determined, and following the custom of the natives in respect to clothing, food, and the rest of their ordinary conduct." They display to us their wonderful and confess striking method of life. Basically what he's saying is in this paragraph is Christians live in cities like everyone. We wear the same clothes, we speak the same language, we are like everyone. But then here's how Christians are different. Second paragraph. He says they dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens they share in all things with others and yet Endure all things as foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country, and every land of their bird as a land of strangers. They marry as do all others, they beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring, like the Romans were doing. They, they have a common table but not a common bed. They are in flesh, they are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpasses the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They lack they are in lack of all things and yet abound in all. They are dishonored and yet in their very dishonored are glorified. They are evil they are evil spoken of and yet are justified. They are reviled and blessed. They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. When punished they rejoice as if quickened into life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and persecuted by the Greeks, yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. That is how we should live our lives as people living in the end because we know where our home is. We can be reviled, we can be hated, we can be persecuted, but we know what the end looks like for us, right? And there's nothing better then when Jesus comes, take us home to wipe every suffering and tear, take all of our pain away, to enjoy just sitting with Christ and enjoying His glory and worshiping Jesus 24-7. And so how are you living with the end in mind? What is it about your life right now that you need to change so that we can become a people who live with the end in mind. Pray pray with me. Jesus, thank you for your word, and thank you for instruction that Peter gave to the church back then, instructions that we can still benefit from. Jesus, you have called us to live with the end in mind, You have called us to be obedient, to be active, to love, to pray, to offer hospitality. And some of these things might not be easy for us, but we know they are for you. And with the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, we can do these things. And so we ask for your power and grace. We ask that where we are weak, that you make us strong. We ask that we will be obedient, Lord, so that we can honor and glorify you with the life that you've called us to live right now with the end in mind. Thank you for this, we ask this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, This morning, as we prepare to uh, eat communion, you know, just examine your heart. You know, if you need a few seconds to just... Reflect on the sermon or the gospel message, please do that. There's no need to rush. But every week we take communion to remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. What Jesus did on the cross for us is the reason that we gather here this morning to remember. And the night before he was about to be betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. Told his disciples, this is my body that will be broken for you on the cross. And so when you eat this, remember me. And in the same way, he took a cup of wine and blessed it and said, this is a symbol of my blood that I will share on the cross for you because you deserve it, because I love you. And so when you drink this, remember that you were bought at a price. With my body and blood. And so that is what we celebrate this morning. And if any of you need prayers this morning, Joe and Rachel will be back there praying for you. And please, they'll be happy to pray for you. If you have anything going on, or even you just want to talk to them about anything, please go and go for them uh, to pray for you. So eat communion, please.